0: I'll uh, open us in a time of prayer, and then uh, Sammy, if you're still up for it, is going to read our passage. Uh, The passage for today is Matthew 5, 1 through 12. So if you have your phones or Bibles um, and you want to to turn to it, you can. Uh, But let me pray for us, and then we'll we'll read the passage and, and discuss it a little bit. God, I'm just uh, so grateful um, that uh, under any circumstance, Lord, we can gather together um, in your name, God, and open up your word together, and you can speak uh, a fresh truth to us, Lord. Um, I pray that as you've brought this group together tonight, that you've prepared us for what you have to say to us tonight, um, that as we read about uh, your son, Jesus, we would... um, look at him with fresh eyes and we would understand him in a new way and in doing that we would uh just be formed uh, more in his likeness um and we would walk more in step uh in his ways um thank you for for the guests that we have with us today just pray a blessing over them uh safe travels whenever they return to their home and um just thank you for bringing them to be with us here today in Jesus' name amen Alright, Sammy. Alright. What
1: is Katie
0: and Anthony? I'll you up on that. Pass the baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, Charlie asked if I would read Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Is that correct? That's right. Okay, perfect. I want to
1: make sure I wasn't going rogue here. We're going to start at Genesis 1. <laughs> 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 um, Alright, the Sermon on the Mount. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, he, sat morning, he, sat
0: and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying,
1: Blessed are the poor in spirit, for
0: theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. <laughs> Alright. Thanks, Sammy. Uh so we're continuing in our study in the Gospel of Matthew with this collection of nine blessings. Okay, nine blessings that, that are often referred to as the Beatitudes. Okay, now Beatitude is actually a, a Latin word um, that means blessing. And just over the years we've we've decided to title these things the Beatitudes. We really could just call them the blessings. These are the blessings of Jesus. Nine blessings that Jesus uh, proclaims to this crowd of people at the beginning of this long kind of record of his teachings known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, So the blessings. Now, maybe you've heard these before. Maybe this is your first time hearing them. But I think many of us have a similar experience. We we hear them and they sound pretty straightforward. Um, For the most part, they're, you know, nice, pleasant statements. We hear words like blessed and meek, peacemakers, merciful, pure in heart. And we think, you know, no surprises here. This all sounds like things that Jesus would say. But once you take a a little bit of a closer look, things get a little bit more complicated. For example, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Okay, why does Jesus bless those who mourn or cry a lot? What does a meek person look like? Who wants to be oppressed or hated or reviled, as as it's said in the... um, the translation that sammy read you all these things sound like stuff we generally want to avoid and if we think more about it we we have to ask you know what does it even mean to be blessed in the first place very quickly this passage can get a little bit more uncomfortable a little bit more unclear you know of course i want to be blessed but Uh, I don't want to mourn a lot. Being poor in spirit doesn't sound like too much fun. I generally prefer that people like me, not revile me and and talk poorly about me. So what is Jesus really trying to say? Well, before we dive further, I think it's important to get a little context for our passage. Um, And there's two types of context. I've talked about them in the past week without really giving a name to them. But I think it's important uh, just to, you know, it sounds maybe a little academic, but just to be aware, like when we read a passage, two types of context that's really you know, helpful if you really want to dive deep into the passage. The first one is literary context. And that really just means how does this passage fit with everything that's around it, okay? And the second is um, uh, cultural context or historical context. And, and by that, I mean, you know, what's going on uh, behind the scenes? What's going on in the background? The things that we don't necessarily read uh what what are the people that are hearing this for the first time what are they thinking what are they experiencing and how are they receiving this that's sort of the cultural and and maybe historical context what's happening behind the scenes of the passage so we're going to look at both contexts really briefly and then well not really briefly but somewhat briefly and then we're going to jump into the passage itself Uh, so first literary context okay so these nine blessings as i said are are part of a larger portion of the bible if you heard the titles as sammy read them it's it's part of this sermon on the mount okay that we we often we we refer to as the sermon on the mount uh because jesus is standing on a hill when he gives it and um and and this sermon takes up the next three chapters of matthew matthew 5 through 7. it's the longest continuous portion of jesus's teachings that we have recorded in the bible it also contains some of the most well-known parts of the Bible for Christians and actually non-Christians alike. Um, So we're going to spend quite a bit of time uh, in these next three chapters because this is just so important. There's so much here, um, it's so valuable, uh, and it's really well known, but we often miss a lot of what's here, um, partially because uh, we think we know it so well. so you may have heard a lot of this this sermon um you know it has quotes that that we or verses that we love to quote things we love to put on posters i remember when i was in uh, middle school we'd have the golden rule on the wall right do unto others or or treat others the way you want to be treated jesus came up with that okay um that's right here in the sermon a lot of these beatitudes are things that we're familiar with Uh, some of the other stuff jesus will share are all things that uh, many people have heard And it's so easy to miss um, kind of the deeper meaning of some of these things uh, if we don't really try to understand the radical perspective change that Jesus is calling us to, the radical life change. If we really don't uh, put ourselves in the place of the people in the crowd that he's speaking to, try to understand them and, and sit in their shoes for a bit, hearing what Jesus is saying, there's some really powerful things here so what is the sermon on the mount well it's it's jesus's most complete explanation of the kingdom of god okay so if you read in the gospels it says often jesus went around proclaiming the kingdom of god or the kingdom of heaven he said i came to bring uh, or proclaim or preach the kingdom of heaven that's what he's doing right here the sermon on the mount is is that he is proclaiming the kingdom of heaven and jesus jesus would travel around uh giving this message town after town he would perform miracles he would cast out demons he would share meals with with people and then he would teach and he would teach these things that we see in the ter- sermon on the mount um and uh this is why in the gospel according to luke we have a very similar collection of teachings okay it's called often called the sermon on the Plain. um and we get hung up if we think this is the same instance but it's really two different explanations of two different teachings Uh, But, you know, it's really important what Jesus had to say. So he said it to to everyone. Um, But the Sermon on the Plain happens in a different place. Uh, A lot of the words and and the packaging is different. But the theme is the same. This is the kingdom of heaven. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. So this is it. If we want to know what Jesus means by the kingdom of God, he breaks it down right here for us in the next three chapters. And I'm hoping that over the next couple months, because we're going to spend some time in this, really trying to understand this, uh, that we gain a bit better understanding of, of Jesus, of the message that he came to bring and how he invites us to participate in his kingdom today. So that's the literary context. The cultural context um, is something we need to gain a better understanding of as well, what's going on behind the scenes. And to do that, I, I want to answer two questions. Who is Jesus speaking to is number one. And number two is, what does it mean to be blessed? Or why does Jesus even do this? Start his sermon with these series of blessings. So number one, who is Jesus speaking to? Well, Matthew five, verse one says, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now disciples, we think 12, right? But in Matthew, uh, Jesus doesn't gather those 12 intentionally until Matthew 10. So disciples means followers. Okay, every, every teacher had a group of followers. It wasn't always 12. Uh, Jesus had a group of followers. Right now he's called four of the fishermen to follow him. He hasn't said, you're my special disciples yet. Um, so when he says, you know, there's this crowd of people and then these these followers kind of come to him, that's what's happening. He's speaking to this crowd, but you have this kind of group of people that have been following him town to town who are, are gathering close to hear what he has to say. Um. So who are in these crowds? Who are the people that Jesus is speaking to? Well, we have to turn back uh, just before our passage to Matthew 4 verses 23 through 25. At this point, as I said, Jesus has these four fishermen who have dropped everything, their jobs, their families, they've left it all behind to follow Jesus and he's been walking around town to town. And this is what uh, Matthew 4 verse 23 through 25 says. He went all throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread all the way to Syria, and they brought all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, the paralytics, and he he healed them all. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the ten cities, from Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. So based on this description of what Jesus was doing and the people who were coming around him, who do you think made up the crowds, as it refers to in Matthew 5.1? Fishermen, right? The poor, the sick, the, uh, the, the oppre- demon oppressed, right? The paralyzed, the, the disabled, um, those who are unimportant, uh, insignificant, people that are or outcasts. The lowest of the low, in some cases, completely worthless people. These are the people who have gathered around Jesus. At least, how culture views them. Okay. So imagine yourself standing among this crowd. Maybe you know you're a poor farmer or some sort of craftsman. Maybe you've been dealing with this uh, skin disease your whole life, and people don't want to get close to you or touch you because they think it's gonna gonna spread to them, or you've been cursed somehow. Uh, maybe you you're homeless and you've been living on the streets, uh, begging for food and money, and people have been stepping over you, and you've been harassed every day by Roman soldiers. Um, However you want to imagine yourself, you're in this crowd and you are a nobody. You don't have much, if anything. You're not respected, no one cares what you think. But you heard about this, this teacher, this man named Jesus, who goes from town to town healing people. Casting out demons and teaching in ways that are so different from every other teacher that you've ever heard. You hear he spends time and even eats meals with the poor and the sick and the sinners, insignificant people like yourself. And you think, I have to see this man. I have to hear this man for himself. You hear that he's coming to town. So you go to where the crowds are gathering and you push your way through the mass of people. And up on the hillside, you see Jesus. And he begins to speak, and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And you think, wait a second, I think he's talking about me. I feel pretty spiritually poor. I mourn a lot. I'm definitely meek. I don't have any power. And then you begin to look around, and you see these thousands of people who have gathered around jesus people who have been knocked down and walked over people who have never been treated right their whole lives people who have nothing and mean nothing to the world and you can feel these words of jesus speaking directly to the hearts of every person there you are blessed and for many of us as we do this kind of thought experiment i think at least for me uh growing up in and around the church we have to change the way we view this passage We often approach this passage and and think, okay, here it is. What do I need to do to be blessed? Do I have to hit all nine of these or can I just pick a few? You know, I could try to be a peacemaker um, or show mercy, but do I really have to mourn or or be persecuted? When we first jump to what do I need to do, we totally miss the point. Jesus is not saying live this way and you will be blessed. He's saying these are the sorts of people that are blessed. Stanley Hauerwas is a theologian I've really appreciated lately, and and he talks about this passage in this way. He says, Too often these characteristics of the blessings in Christian history have been turned into ideals or virtues that we must strive to attain. Poor in spirit, mourning, meek, etc. When we do that, we turn them into formulas that help us gain status and favor with God, which of course is precisely opposite of what Jesus is trying to say. Rather, they're descriptions of the kinds of people to whom, in fact, Jesus first brought the kingdom of God. Nowhere does Jesus tell us that we should try to be poor in spirit or try to mourn all the time or try to get yourself persecuted. He simply announces the great surprise, which is that these people who are not significant or honored in their society are precisely the ones who have received the honor to be first among those invited into God's kingdom. So who is Jesus speaking these blessings to? Who are in the crowd? The fishermen, the poor, the sick, the disabled, the demon-possessed, the undesirables and unimportant people of the world. Jesus is saying to them, you are blessed. So what does it mean to be blessed? Specifically, what does it mean for Jesus to call these people blessed? One thing that's important to understand is that this practice of a teacher Proclaiming a series of blessings to a crowd was actually a really common thing. Okay, this would be something that as, as they come to hear a, a teacher, they would expect. Um, what, what Jesus is doing here was typical among Jewish rabbis at that time. In the book of Psalms, uh, many of these songs and poems were read by Jewish teachers in the synagogue, and they begin with a series of blessings. Here's a couple examples. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Blessed is he whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Another uh, common one, Psalm 32 says blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Psalm 119, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. And blessed are those who do no wrong, but walk in his ways. And this practice continued. Okay, it's not just in the Psalms, but every Jewish teacher until the time of Jesus and after would begin their teachings with a series of blessings, sometimes ones that they came up with on their own. One really well known one. And this, you know, you find a lot of examples of this, but I picked this one out because I think it really highlights uh, the the uniqueness of Jesus's blessings. Uh, This guy named his his name was actually Jesus as well, uh, lived about 100 to 150 years before Jesus. His name was Jesus Ben Sirach. Jesus son of Sirach. And he this nine he gives nine blessings just like Jesus. And listen to these blessings. So Jesus ben Sirach says, Blessed is a man who can rejoice in his children. Blessed is a man who lives to see the downfall of his enemies. Blessed is the man who lives with a sensible wife. Blessed is the one who does not plow ox and donkey together. Blessed is the one who does not sin with his tongue. Blessed is the one who who has not served an inferior. Blessed is the one who finds a friend, and blessed is the one who speaks and people listen. How great is the one who finds wisdom. That's Jesus ben Sirach. And if you listened close to these blessings, you may have noticed some pretty significant differences between them and the nine blessings that Jesus announces. What are all these generally about in the Psalms and and in the blessings we read uh, by Jesus ben Sirach? And these are pretty representative of what you'd hear from a typical Jewish teacher at the time. Okay, many are about one's performance, their ability to follow the law. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, but whose delight is in the law. Blessed is the one whose way is blameless, who walks in the law of the Lord. Blessed is the one who does not sin with his tongue. But others are, are, and particularly from the Jewish teachers around the time of Jesus, focus on wealth, health, prosperity, and status. Listen to some of the, I'll restate some of the ones uh, Sirach said. Blessed is a man who lives to see the downfall of his enemy. Blessed is the one who does not plow ox and donkey together. That's kind of weird to us, but ox were expensive, donkeys were cheap. If you had enough ox, they were better at plowing. You wouldn't have to use a poor man's animal, a donkey. Blessed is the one who has not served an inferior, has not had to stoop to the level to serve someone who is socially beneath them. Blessed is the one who finds a friend who has people that likes them. Blessed is the one who speaks and people listen. Okay? People find them to be important and have something to say. Now, if you grew up in the church, you may be used to hearing the blessings that Jesus gives. But if you can imagine, again, being in that crowd and hearing Jesus for the first time, Okay, not us who've heard it all the time, but, but for hearing it for the first time. Imagine the poor, the insignificant, the low-class people, the hated, the outcasts, who for their entire lives have been told, you're not blessed. God doesn't love you. Look at your situation. Look at what you've done. I mean, you know, listen to what Sirach said. Blessed is the one who has not served an inferior. Okay, These people are the inferiors. A person that's blessed is someone who doesn't even have to associate with the people that Jesus is talking to. Hey. So these people are, are, are far from being blessed, at least in their minds and the minds of the culture. And they, they stand there listening to Jesus and they hear him say the word blessed. And they think, oh, great. Another teacher that's just going to tell me that, that God doesn't love me, that, that I'm worthless, that I'm, I deserve nothing. But instead of hearing the typical blessed are the righteous, blessed are the prosperous, they hear blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How shocking this must have been. These people in the kingdom of God? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. How could this be? Meek people have nothing. They inherit nothing. Dominant people, conquer, conquerors, they run the, the earth. We have to understand how shocking this must have been. What Jesus is saying here is so radical, so unheard of, For the first time in their lives, these people are hearing that blessing is not something you earn. Blessing is not about wealth, health, prosperity, or status. Blessing according to Jesus is very different than how the world defines it. And according to Jesus, blessing belongs to those whom the world has thrown aside. So with that context, let's take a look at these blessings. Number one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. On a different occasion, as I mentioned, recorded in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, blessed are the poor. And we often get bent out of shape as Jesus talking about the financially poor or the spiritually poor, like, you know, who does this apply to? Um, and, and that's uh, not really a question for the people that Jesus is talking to because in ancient Jewish culture, uh, these things were inseparable. Wealth and spirituality went hand in hand. Remember, if God loved you, you would be wealthy, healthy, and prosperous. So Jesus said both. He said, Blessed are the financially poor and blessed are the spiritually poor. Uh, but here he's talking about, he says, poor in spirit. So what does it mean to be spiritually impoverished? It doesn't sound like a good thing. I've always been told you know or, or heard that it's the realization that you for of your need for God, right? That we, we need God. Um, to be spiritually fulfilled. And, and that kind of gets at what Jesus is trying to say, but again, it becomes something that we can do, right? In order to attain a uh, blessing. And uh, that's the opposite of what Jesus is saying. That's not what this is about. The people that Jesus is talking to were in the eyes of the world, far from God. They were spiritually depraved. God certainly didn't love them. They must've done something wrong, otherwise they wouldn't be poor. They wouldn't be sick. They wouldn't be disabled. They were spiritually poor and everyone knew it. So not only did they realize their their spiritual depravity, but everyone else could see, man, these people are far from God, at least in their minds. But these are the people that Jesus has decided to invite into his kingdom first. N.T. Wright is another, another scholar that I've really enjoyed lately. Uh, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom in heaven. Doesn't mean... You are the ones who will go to heaven when you die. It means that you will be those through whom God's kingdom begins to appear appear on earth as it is in heaven. The Beatitudes are the agenda for the kingdom people. They are not simply about how to behave so that God will do something nice for you. They are about the way in which Jesus wants to rule the world. He wants to do it through these sorts of people, the poor in spirit. And if you're thinking right now, well, I'm not poor in spirit then, so you know, this just doesn't apply to me, then you're, you're still thinking about it in the wrong way. This isn't about you or me. This is about Jesus's kingdom and how the people who have never been included in anything in their whole lives are the first that Jesus invites into his kingdom. These next three blessings uh, kind of fit together to paint a picture of of this people that long for a better world people who have this deep understanding of the brokenness of the world largely because they've been victims of that brokenness so the, the next three blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied so let's start here hunger and thirst These are not comfortable feelings, right? If you've ever felt hungry, really hungry, or really thirsty, they can actually be painful. Now, why would someone have a physical and painful longing for righteousness? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why would someone feel that way? Well, it's because they know that things are not right. They feel that things are not right. They've they've suffered from the fact that things are not right. And it's very easy, especially if you are not constantly impacted by the brokenness in the world, to ignore or distract yourself from the fact that things are not right. If you have a roof over your head and money in the bank, people love you and and care about you, if you're healthy, we tend to think, you know, things are generally okay. Well, why is that a problem to view the world in this way? That things are generally good? Well, who is going to make all things right again? Who's going to repair the brokenness in this world? Who's going to restore broken people and broken relationships? Jesus. That's right, Jesus. To hunger and to thirst for righteousness is the hunger and thirst for Jesus to one day make all things right again. When we mourn over the brokenness of this world, we are comforted knowing that Jesus is making all things new. When we understand the magnitude of the brokenness of this world to the point where it causes us to be meek, helpless, humble to realize our powerlessness, we end up looking to Jesus as our Savior who will conquer, conquer evil and establish his kingdom. And when we truly long for righteousness, we are satisfied by the only one who is righteous, and that's Jesus. Now, you may think, you know, some people look at the brokenness and, of this world and, and how messed up the world can be, and it causes them to think, well, God must not be real, or if he is, he must not be good. And that's true. There are people that come to this conclusion, but I think that conclusion comes from a, a misunderstanding of who God is. It comes from not realizing that God, he didn't cause the brokenness. In fact, out of his love for us, he is working to, to make things right, to, to lift us out of that brokenness and restore things to the way that he made them to be. And I would argue that that people that have that misunderstanding about who God is and and they hold that misunderstanding largely because the church, speaking generally, has done a really bad job at mourning the brokenness of this world. We do a bad job at having a posture of meekness and we often don't relate well with people who hunger and thirst for a better world. And the reason we don't is because we often don't agree with their solutions to the problems of this world. But if we were to, to start to relate and start to connect with people who are, are wanting a better world and aren't looking for that in, in Jesus, it's from a place of, of unity and empathy that we could actually point them to the true solution to the brokenness, which is Jesus. So you have all these people that, that see this brokenness, they hunger for something better, but then they say God's not real or God's not good. And, it, and it's because of this misunderstanding. And I, I think that I would venture to say that most of those people who come to the conclusion that because of the brokenness, God must not be real, they've had some sort of run-in with the church that has given them a a wrong picture about who God is. And we as the church, as we relate to them and and connect with them uh, in longing for a better world, can show them who God really is and what He is really doing. So the next three blessings, okay? I I believe these fit together uh, as well. Here we don't have people that just see the brokenness in the world and long for a better world, but they have begun to join God in bringing about that better world. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Okay. Blessed are the people who see a neighbor hurting and they offer relief for their pain. Blessed is the person who shows love and kindness and generosity to the person who has no one and has nothing. Blessed are the people who, when someone wrongs them, they they don't hold it against them, but they show them mercy. They forgive them. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. In the Bible, when we we talk about someone's heart, we're talking about their, their innermost desires. Okay, What motivates you? What you love? So purity in heart refers to an undivided desire for God and his goodness. You've realized that the only thing that will bring restoration to this world is, is and your life is God and you long for his presence so to, pee, to be pure in heart is not to, to look to other things to distract you or numb you, you don't look to relationships or possessions to fix your life you long for God and his presence alone, blessed are the pure in heart, the, the last one in this series of three, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God You know, Jesus didn't only come to restore our relationship with God, between us and God. He also came to restore our relationships with one another. To bring us together in unity and love and and community uh, in his kingdom. To mend the divides between people and people groups in this world. And those who God calls his children are the people that work to restore relationships. Both their own and relationships between others. So if you see two people... And, and they're at odds at one another. You don't go over to the side with one and talk bad about the other person, right? You do everything you can to, to help bring unity and peace to that relationship. Blessed are the peacemakers. And these last two blessings. Uh, these last two blessings let us know that being blessed, according to Jesus, doesn't uh, mean that life gets easy. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When you truly walk with Jesus, there will be opposition. And this makes sense. If we look at Jesus's life, uh, he, he faced op- opposition constantly. And it was mostly uh, from the religious, the spiritual leaders of, his, of the community. He faced spiritual opposition as well, as we talked about two weeks ago in the wilderness. He was criticized and hated by all sorts of people in the world. And he ultimately was killed for the things that he said or did. And many of the people who have followed in his footsteps have faced the same opposition. But Jesus says, if you find yourself facing opposition because you're following me, because you're pursuing righteousness, if you find that people hate you or talk bad at you, You know that you are joining me in restoring the brokenness of this world. If if you're doing that, then rejoice and be glad. Because that's what happens when you're part of my kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying here. So blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those when when others revile and and persecute you. So uh, concluding here, and then we're going to hear a word from Daniel. Uh, How should we respond to a passage like this? Remember, Jesus' point is not to say, do all these things so that you would receive blessing. He's speaking to a group of poor, insignificant, uh, hurting and broken people. And he is saying, here is my kingdom where people who have been thrown out by the world are instead loved and valued. Here is my kingdom. Now come be a part of it. That's what he's doing here. He's inviting these people in. And some of us might be thinking, wow, this like so much of this applies to me. You, you know, you can really relate to the people in the crowd and, and this just speaks to you and where you find yourself in life. But others of us uh, might be feeling like this applies a little bit less to you. According to the world, you, you are fairly important. You are successful. You have value. So what do we do with this, with, with these two kind of, uh, you know, we have people that, that might be all over the spectrum. Well, I think the best uh, this is best answered by another quote from uh, Stanley Hauerwas who I quoted before Um, and he says this just listen real closely um, to this the Sermon on the Mount is not a list of requirements but rather a description of the life of a people gathered by and around Jesus to be saved is to be so gathered that is why the Beatitudes are the interpretive key to the whole sermon precisely because they are not recommendations no one is asked to go out and try to be poor in spirit or to try to mourn or to be meek. Rather, Jesus is indicating that given the reality of the kingdom, we should not be surprised to find among those who follow him, uh, those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek. Moreover, Jesus does not suggest that everyone who follows him will possess all of the attitudes, but we can be sure that some will be poor, some will mourn, and some will be meek. And this is me here. The sermon gives us the most complete picture of what life is like in the kingdom of God. A true Jesus community, or as we say, church, an outpost it's an outpost of the kingdom and it values the people that Jesus values. A true community centered on Jesus values the people that Jesus values. If a church is made up of all people who look the same and live the same and, and think the same, then it's missing the mark. If a church values the same sort of people as the rest of the world, then it's not a community that reflects Jesus. It's a community that reflects the broken world. So if you find yourself not fitting this portrait of a blessed person as Jesus paints it, well, you better surround yourself with people who do. Because that is where you will truly experience the kingdom of God in a community of people that comes from all walks of life, a community that values the people that Jesus values, a community that strives for righteousness, mercy, and peace as they follow Jesus together, lifting up the people who have been pushed down and knocked down by the world. That's what Jesus is saying here in these blessings. So I thought Daniel's story, I've heard it a number of times, I thought it spoke really, really well to this passage. So we'd love to just hear from you for a few minutes.
1: All right, so much of my story has so much to relate to that. I think the main theme of my story would be a desire for acceptance. Ever since I was a kid, um, I don't even remember it, but my my father left at a very early age. And the last thing I really remember from my childhood is my mom um, getting in a relationship with a man that would end up being the father of my four brothers and sister, or my three brothers and my sister. And so I was the eldest out of there and out of that relationship, um, after every kid started coming, I kind of started feeling like I was put aside. Um, Even in school, elementary school, I felt like that. I remember um, in elementary school, uh, trying to just have friends and doing something silly that ended up making the rest of my time at that school rejected. None of the kids in my grade would talk to me and they hated me and they pushed me away. To, just as an example of one of the things that probably has scarred me was one day we were at gym. And for some reason, the PE teacher was making everybody do one lap and everyone's cheering everybody's, as each person runs. And then my, my turn came and everyone was quiet. And I remember these types of things growing up and I would go home to a house that on the surface we, we made it look like we were happy and any pictures you see it looked like we're happy but in reality my, I would walk in on my stepdad sometimes beating up on my mom. And I remember vividly one time trying to help and reached around him and he literally was going to turn around and attack me until my mom came and stood for me again. I remember one time I spoke back to him and i got slapped across the face i remember when i tried to eat with my mouth open he would grab my lips and held them shut and i would remember these things anyways as time goes on I, I um that was the way it was for a while and then we ended up moving in a neighborhood where majority of what i remember is hanging out at the neighbor's house that you know and um things seemed to be a little bit better because i wasn't in the house as much So I didn't really know but uh, by the time I was 12 my stepdad decided he wanted to see another woman Uh, my dad was barely in my life at this time he might come take me to a movie every now and then but he was never really there and um, so right around that time is the time I I just my mom fell in actually my mom fell into a deep depression we ended up having to move and it was, um, they kind of did split on, at, well, no, sorry. At first we were all in a home together by ourselves and my mom was in a heavy depression because uh, my mom was the type that she would put so much into a relationship that if it didn't go well, I don't know, I, I feel like maybe with the abuse and everything, she just really thought there was something good there, but it wasn't true. So she fell into a deep depression. The only time we've seen her was when she was going to work or coming back from work and then she was in her room. So our house was literally a mess. I remember with us five kids running around by ourselves, there was ketchup all over the counters. There was flour everywhere. I remember one day my, my baby sister was home and I had to go to school but I, had, but I couldn't because I had to stay with her. And I remember having to run across the street and asking my neighbor to come over because I didn't know how to change her diaper on my own. And those are just some of the things I remember as a kid. And then I started going into my teen years. Um, the stepdad and my mom decided to split the kids. So my mom ended up with two kids and me. And we decided to move. And um, we moved across the state and lived there for a while. And at this age, I was about 15 and I started just rebelling. I started hanging out with all the kids that were drinking. And I saw that that was like the way to fit in there. So I started drinking and I started seeing, well, what are some ways that we can get more alcohol? I started stealing to the point where I wanted to dress nice and I wanted to have enough alcohol for me and all my friends to party that I, we, we broke into my neighbor's house and we stole um, tons of alcohol, computer equipment and everything and went and partied and then a couple days later I went and stole my mom's um, credit card and spent $500 on one outfit for myself and was arrested that day for the first felony crime I ever committed. I spent um Christmas for the first for that my first time in jail it was over the Christmas holiday and after that I, I after I got out you know I thought I was gonna do good but we ended up moving back to Spokane and we had a new man in the picture that didn't really like me either and I remember calling my mom the b-word and him literally just swinging on me and us was fighting in the hallways and getting kicked out so and that was that was kind of it. I was in and out of my house for a majority of my teen years. Felt rejected. My dad wasn't really around unless his girlfriend liked me. You know, I felt that stuff at school, um, back when I was a kid. And so that was what I was. I started trying to find my identity in those around me, and majority of the time that came from gang members when I when I acted and lived a certain way, or people that were doing drugs, and so that was just a downward spiral. Um, in and out of juvenile from the time I was 15 to 18, and then the same thing when I hit 18. Um, when I hit 18, I was running around downtown, Spokane, getting drunk and just starting fights with for no reason. Taking what I wanted, doing what I wanted. The cops knew me by name, and I was watched and known down there um sometimes i had i i could go back to my at this time my mom actually lost the rights to both of my children because we were living in a house that wasn't even built all the way and so um the stepdad took advantage of that and called called the cops and did the right thing i think now i can see thinking about it because it wasn't a safe place for anyone to live and we were living in it but anyways the kids were gone but then we ended up getting a new house but sometimes i would Stay downtown and just sleep under bridges because I was so drunk. So we're gonna fast forward a bit. After um, one time, I uh, I eventually committed. I was committing crimes. I ended up going into jail for um, 22 months, and I was in the jail fighting a case for 22 months. And in that time, I started reading the bible i started to get to know who jesus was in fact i'd say today i'd say today the majority of what i um what i know about jesus came from that and spending that time to the point where it ended up being where i was able to actually go around and share scriptures with other people i was talking to murderers because i was on a floor that was um high security so i was talking to murderers People with robberies, bank robberies, all types of people, and um, we would have conversations about Jesus and the Bible. And so I really thought that when I was going to get out, I was going to do well. But when I got out, I ended up um, doing well for a little while. Meeting a girl that I knew from before, and we ended up getting married. And after after a little while, she, she was she was doing pills, so I started doing pills. Um, then we then the pill addiction turned into. Um, a heroin addiction. And then we had a meth dealer moving next door. So we started doing meth and to the point where, uh, and we had, before this, sorry, before this, we we had one child and she already had a child. And then we had a third child. But then after we started doing the meth, um, eventually CPS came in and they took our children away. Um, We ended up losing our home because we stopped paying our rent. And so we were both sleeping under bridges, uh, sleeping on the street, sleeping where we could um, and sleeping where we could. And she ran off, started doing her own thing. I started losing my mind. I tried to commit suicide um, by taking a needle full of chemicals and shooting it up. And then finally, I after a few months, I, I just... Started hitting the streets and doing crime again until I got arrested. The last time I was arrested, I ended up doing 22 months in prison that time. After I got out, I got into a clean and sober house. Um, in that clean and sober house, I did good for a few months until I met a girl. Got back involved with the drugs. Got back into doing all, 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 all the, all the bad stuff. Sorry. Yeah, to the point where I was staying at a friend's house. I was having meth dealers in and out of his house. I was just back into trying to live off the streets and, and trying to live the street mentality. And eventually, uh, ended up he ended up not wanting me in his house any longer. And so I was homeless. I was sleeping in alleys. I was sleeping in the Greyhound bus station, sleeping behind the video games until security would kick me out. Almost every night I did that. Until eventually someone reached out to me on Facebook and said do you want that knew a couple people that I Knew from the church when I was doing well and and invited me to Illinois So eventually I got on that train I went to Illinois and I realized there was something that had to be different. I couldn't keep It was it was just the same thing for years jail prison Wanting to hurt myself feeling like nobody cared about my life at all and so I, start, I found a church. I started going to that church. And uh, at that church, they actually shared my story. And that's how I met my wife. And And so now I stand here today. I'm six years clean and sober off of meth and heroin. I've been married with this beautiful woman and had these two great kids, a part of my life for the last three to f- uh, actually four years, three years married. And and so that is it is is one of the victories in my life but even after all those even (laughs) i feel like i'm doing your hand things dude i do i do that like after i watch somebody like i'll do that with kyle Eidelman. i'll like be like talking and i'll like i'm doing that dude's hands gestures (laughs) but anyways um even even after being married and having a family and feeling like everything was together i saw so many of those things creep back in me the street mentality, the, the pride, especially in my marriage, I saw these things. And, and there was moments where Katie would say, what is, what, 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 who are you? Because I would look so different on some occasions. And so we struggled in our marriage with my sin and her sin. And uh, even after and in, in those struggles, we, we had a child that we actually lost she um she died in birth um and so so we you know we we struggled with that i guess the point i'm going to say is jesus saved me and redeemed me and yet i see that just because we're on a play in a place where you know our lives are changed and jesus saves us and we're still gonna face those trials and tribulations. And what I've learned from those trials and tribulations is I can stand here today and share those things, but my marriage is stronger than ever. My, I feel like my, my, me and my kids' relationship are, are better than they were. Uh, I feel like moving here to Knoxville, God has showed me more of a purpose. I do not, I, I, I can't say that I found acceptance in acceptance in anything accept Jesus because even in the churches I I still felt like the outcast but now I've learned that that's okay and I've learned that that's who I want to be with I want to be with the other outcast so once a week God's given me an opportunity to go spend time with the homeless I've seen opportunities just last week to go and talk to prostitutes And I don't think I would be passionate about any of this if I didn't experience the suffering and the hardships that I did. And, you know, I believe now that all these struggles, no matter how hard they were, that God has actually used them to give me opportunities to speak to others that are in those hard places and to show people that no matter how far you are from God, He's still close to you. He was with me, even when I had nothing to do with him, and I put that needle in my arm trying to kill myself. I should have died. My arm blew up, but all I did was throw up, and I fell asleep and woke up the next day. I tried to jump off a bridge, and and for some reason, right before I got to the bridge, someone I knew was there and said, No, come on. God was there the whole time. And no matter how big or small you feel your struggles are, just know that God is there in it. And that it won't always be awesome. It won't always be great. But God loves the broken. And God is with the hurt. And I just wanted to share the same scripture that Charlie did, but in a different version to wrap up. And I was kind of all over the place. I, I in fact, did not prepare for this at all. So I just, I, literally, if I read you my notes, would be like, Prison, homeless, prison, homeless, uh, this, that. <laughs> it's just like things I wanted to touch on. So, And I'm a little nervous, even though I know majority of you guys. But anyways, thank you for listening. And I'll wrap up with this scripture. Alright, so this is the Beatitudes... In the message version, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and His rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourself proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care, when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourself cared for. You're blessed when you, are oh, sorry. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart, put right then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Thank you.
0: Thanks Daniel. Thank you so good man appreciate it well i'm gonna pray for us and then we'll just have a little bit of time as we always do to discuss questions anything like that um and we'll close with that so uh, join me in prayer uh god just thank you so much for your word lord thank you uh for how you speak to us every time we open it um lord i thank you for daniel and the story that you've written in his life and how uh you have shown that that uh people that that have come to the end of the row, people who who have been um, uh, just, just left behind by the world and feel like they have nothing and no reason to live. You, uh, you want those sorts of people uh, in your kingdom and you welcome those people into your kingdom. And uh, those are the sorts of people uh, that should be all over our churches, God. Um, so I pray for, for this community Uh, that we would be characterized by these series of blessings and by this sermon. I pray for every church in this city uh, that people would be able to come as they are uh, in their brokenness and in their hurt and be able to be loved and welcomed as you uh, love and welcome those sorts of people into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.